The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. There's four things I want to talk about when it comes to spiritual fellowship. Again, in verse number two, uh, Paul says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Verse one, he says, If there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels of mercy. Notice there's going to be some things that are elements that are necessary in the fellowship of His Spirit. In other words, there's some things that have to happen in the hearts of Christians in order for us to truly experience biblical, spiritual fellowship. And I want to make just four statements this morning, and I'll be done, and I hope that there'll be a help to you uh, about what spiritual fellowship is. Number one this morning, according to God's Word in verses 5 and 6, spiritual fellowship is selfless. Spiritual fellowship is selfless. Uh, There was a reporter that was interviewing a successful job counselor who had placed hundreds of workers in their vocations. And uh, when he asked the secret of his success, the man replied, if you want to find out what a worker is really like, don't give him responsibilities, give him privileges. Most people can handle responsibilities if you pay them enough, but it takes a real leader to handle privileges. A leader will use his privileges to help others and build the organization A lesser man will use privileges to promote himself. No, Jesus is our heavenly Father. Our heavenly Father gave us the Lord Jesus Christ, and we understand uh, that he gave us these heavenly privileges for the sake of others, for our sake. In other words, God didn't give us the privileges he has given us in the Christian life, the freedoms he's given us in the Christian life, the liberties he's given us in the Christian life for ourselves. The New Testament's clear about that. He gave us the freedoms we have in Christ so that we can, by love, serve one another. He gave us the liberties that we have so that we can serve one another. He gave us the freedoms that we enjoy, the privileges that we enjoy, but really what shows uh, who we are as people is what we do with the privilege. If we use privilege, if we use Christian liberty, if we use freedom as an occasion to the flesh, in other words, we say, uh, I'm using the Christian liberty that I have, I have the right to do this or to do that, and we use all of our privileges in Christ to get our own way, we don't understand the purpose of the privilege. That God has given us privileges so that we can help other people. God has blessed us and gifted us and given us these privileges in him so that we could help others, so that we could serve others, so that we could fulfill the purpose for which he sent us. And by the way, we we see that perfectly lived out in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ used all of his power, all of his abilities, all of his privileges to serve other people. He used them to help other people. You know, if we uh, looked in contrast between Christ's attitude and that of the devils, of Lucifer's and of Adam. You know, we could see, if you would, the difference between someone who is living out according to God's spirit, uh, according to his way, doing what he says, or someone that's not. If you look at Lucifer, what did he say? He he was once the highest of the angelic beings, close to the throne of God. Ezekiel 28 tells us about Lucifer. He desired to be on the throne. Lucifer said this. He said, I will. Over Over and over again in Ezekiel 28, Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will. Isn't it interesting that what Jesus said when he was on the earth? He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 
He said, not I will, but he said, thy will. That's what Jesus used. That's how Jesus spoke. Lucifer wasn't satisfied to be a creature. He wanted to be the creator. Uh, Jesus was the creator, yet he willingly became a man. You see the difference in the spirit. You see the difference in the attitude. Jesus was the creator, willingly became a man. Lucifer was a creature, uh, a creation, and wanted to become the creator. Romans 1 tells us the the problem with humanity is when they worship the creature rather than the creator. When they lifted up themselves above God, when they said, it's my way, it's my will, not God's will. How many know that we're in trouble when we desire our way and not God's way? When we desire our will and not God's will. When, when given the decision between what we want to do and what God's word says we should do and we choose our way, we know as Christians, boy, it's not going to turn out the way that we think that it is. We're not going to be satisfied with that way. You know, Lucifer was not satisfied to be a rebel himself, was he? As most rebels are, and those who go after their own way, they're never satisfied to rebel alone. They always want someone else to rebel with them. Isn't it interesting? After Lucifer rebelled, and after Lucifer went his way, and after Lucifer did what he wanted, immediately he comes down as the serpent in the garden, and what does he want? He wants man to rebel in the same way against God, just like he did. He wants man to take part in the rebellion, to take part in the selfish life, to take part in, in doing my way and my will. And as a matter of fact, he, he was uh, uh, there and he said to Eve, he said, you'll be like God. You're going to be, hey, listen, God's afraid that you're going to be like him. He's afraid that you're going to have the knowledge that he has. He's afraid. He's trying to keep you down. Boy, Lucifer's a liar. The devil's a liar, isn't he? He wants us to think that God is trying to keep us from liberty, that God is trying to keep us from from love, that God is trying to keep us from life. But the truth is that God came to deliver us life, and the devil has nothing but death to offer us. Boy, he puts a great wrapper on it, doesn't he? He has a great marketing scheme for it, doesn't he? He has great advertising, doesn't he? Oh, he has the best of the best in the world that do this advertising and do his marketing and push the self-life and the me life and doing things my way and it's my way or the highway and go after your heart and do whatever's in your heart and follow your dreams. These are the anthems of the world that we live in. We hear it in their songs. We see it in their films. We watch it in the way that our culture moves. But we understand that that is not the life that Christ came to give us. As a matter of fact, we see it's completely different than that. You know, we expect unsaved people to be selfish and grasping, but we don't expect this of Christians who have experienced the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit. Paul is admonishing God's church and the church at Philippi, and hey, God's church today is we have God's word. It's not just for them, it's for us. That's why we have it. We understand that God is admonishing us and helping us to understand what spiritual fellowship is. It's not becoming a member of a social group. It's not becoming a part of an organization. It's becoming part of the family of God. And our fellowship is not about us all getting individually our way and living our lives separately. It's about us all coming together and saying, not our will, but thy will. God, not what we want, but what you want. And we want what you want. We want what your word says. As a matter of fact, more than 20 times in the New Testament, God instructs us how to live with one another. You know why he does that over 20 times in the New Testament? Because I would submit to all of us today that we need instruction on how to live with one another. 
We need instruction on how to handle situations. We need instruction on how to respond and react. We need instruction on how to forgive and to love. We need instruction on how to serve and how to submit. Because I don't know about you, I don't naturally in my flesh do those things. You with me? None of us wants to be the least. None of us wants to be a servant. None of us in our flesh desires these things naturally. What gives us the desire to be like Christ is God's Spirit. We can only be like Christ if we allow God's Spirit to have His way in us. And how many of us, all of us, no, you don't have to raise your hand, but are you with me this morning? I need God's Spirit to help me to be more like Christ. I need that. And, how, and, and by the way, I'm learning that. And as I grow in God's grace and knowledge and get into God's word, and as I mature in the Lord, I'm learning that more and more every day. None of us have done that perfectly. All of us have hurt another. All of us have harmed another. All of us have done imperfectly when it comes to the fellowship and the interaction that we have with other Christians. How about this? We don't even interact with the lost the way that we should perfectly. You think that we're going to interact with other Christians perfectly? We don't do that. But the truth is that we need the instruction of God's word, but it starts with this, selflessness. It's not about me. It's not about my wants. It's not about my preferences. It's not about my desires. It's about what God wants. If all of us come to the congregation today, comes together in fellowship, and it's all about what we want, could you imagine if we polled the church today for what they wanted to eat? You know what I've learned I don't even pull my kids anymore, and I only have four of them, because they don't ever want the same thing. You ever ask, where does somebody want to eat? And how many have found that uh, the place called I don't care doesn't exist? We all kind of like false humility, you know, I don't really mind, you choose the place. And then you offer a couple places, no, I don't want to go there. (laughs) Well, I thought you said you didn't care. Well, I don't care, except for that place. That place I care about. Well, how about this? No, I don't want that. Pizza? No. Chinese? No, that's not what I'm, I'm not in the mood. I don't, how about, I don't even know what I want. Come on, are you with me? Come on, you ever been in that crowd not even knowing what you want? I'm hungry, but I don't even know what I want to eat. I mean, I feel like I'd eat anything right now, but I probably would eat nothing if you offered it to me. Because I just, isn't it amazing how fickle that we are? Listen, that's the way that we are. Uh, uh, if we, could you imagine if we said, are you too hot today or are you too cold today? We had people with sweaters this morning and people fanning themselves this morning. You, you realize we had people uh, that walked in and said, boy, it feels so good in here. And people said, I'm freezing, you know. And uh, the people come in. Could you imagine? Listen, trying to live a life pleasing everyone's preference is impossible. We cannot do these things. And by the way, let's all be reminded this morning that that's not why we came here. We didn't come here so that we would be comfortable. We didn't come here so that we could get our way. We didn't come here so that our preferences might be fulfilled. We came here to come underneath the body of the doctrine, the word of God, and say, we believe it and we want to practice it. We want to do what God's word says. And uh, it's hard for us. Listen, when we get a social group together, and by the way, when you have different ages and different walks of life and different places in life, everybody has an opinion. Let's be honest this morning. We all have an opinion, but the only thing that matters is what God says. That's what God, what God says is what matters. And all of us could be busy ourselves about sharing what we think and sharing what our opinion is and how we feel and whether we think this is that or that is an opinion of this, an opinion of that. But here's the truth this morning. I hope we've come together selflessly to say, let God be glorified. 
Let God be glorified. Let, let his word be magnified. Let his name be above every name. I don't want my name uh, to have preference today. I want his name to have uh, preeminence today. And uh, we're here. Notice how he instructs us. He instructs us in Romans 12 to prefer one another. And First Thessalonians 5, to edify one another. Two, in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens that we should not judge one another. Romans 14, 13, but rather admonish one another. Romans 15, 14. By the way, those two go together. Admonishment's not judgment. God's called us to admonish one another according to the word of God. You know, others is the key word in the vocabulary of the Christian. Didn't we see that in life of Jesus? As they squabbled over who was going to be the greatest? Jesus said, let him be the servant of all. Jesus understood submission. Jesus understood selflessness. Number one, uh, a spiritual fellowship is selfless. Number two, a spiritual fellowship is serving, is serving. Look at uh, verse number seven. When we look at Christ, his mind, he thought it, he was in the form of God, thought it not to be robbery to be equal with God, but notice verse number seven, he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Uh, A famous philosopher wrote glowing words about educating children, but he banded his own children and didn't teach them and educate them and nurture them. It was easy for him to love children in abstract but it was hard for him to love children in the practice. Are you with me? It's easy to love God's church in the abstract. It's hard to love God's church in the practice. You know, it's easy to, come on, how many of you read the parenting books? Everybody's got the great advice on how to do this and how to do that and the marriage books on how to do this and how to do that. And in the abstract, from the book standpoint, yes, we all agree. But in the practice, how are we doing? You know, the abstract is one thing, but the practice is another. You know, Paul traced the steps in humiliation of Christ. He he told us that he emptied himself. He laid aside the independent use of his own attributes as God, and he permanently became a human in a sinless physical body. God is the Spirit. Jesus took on flesh. You with me? God is the Spirit. The attributes of God. What are the attributes? Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, sovereign. So we understand the attributes of God. Notice the Bible tells us that Jesus laid aside and took on the flesh. He took on the human flesh. He never ceased to be God, but he was 100% man. Notice he, he felt pain. He got tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He, he, he had uh, things that happened. He died. We understand he took on uh, the, the flesh of a human being. He became a servant. He used that body not to complain, not to say that uh, I'm not getting everything I deserve, but he used that body to be a servant. He took that body to the cross and he willingly died. He laid his, he said, nobody takes my life, I lay it down. So notice how Jesus used his body. He used his body to serve others. He, he used his human flesh to serve others. You think about the grace of God from heaven to earth, from glory to shame, from master to servant, from life to death. The Bible says in verse 8, even the death of the cross in the Old Testament age, when we see it, 
Christ had visited earth on occasion for a special ministry. Genesis 18 is one, one time where we see that. But these visits were temporary. When Christ was born in Bethlehem, he entered into a permanent union with humanity from which he never escaped, from which he never abandoned, from which he never left. We understand that even Christ has a glorified body. That we're going to see him. We're going to see, if you would, those nail prints. We're going to see the marks that he bears, the Bible says, in his own body. We're going to see that because he did that for us. An amazing thing that he would lay aside all that he lay aside, take on uh, human flesh, and then what he did with his body is amazing still. He used every ounce of his body, effort, sweat, blood, and tears to serve and to love humanity. The Bible tells us as we read the four Gospels, isn't it interesting that it's Jesus who serves others, not others who serve Jesus? He says this himself, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life for ransom for many. Jesus didn't say, serve me. He said, let me serve you. He said, I want to serve you. Can you think of how awesome a God that we have that he would leave heaven and want to serve humanity? That he would serve us in the upper room. What were the disciples doing? They were refusing to minister. Jesus got up. What did he do? How did he respond? He laid aside his outer garments. He took a long linen towel and he washed their feet. That was Jesus' response to their unwillingness to serve. He took a place as a slave. He he was submissive. It's interesting how sometimes we struggle uh, with being a servant when Jesus embraced it completely. We see that Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, be the servant of all. Don't we understand the kingdom of God as compared to the kingdom of this world is an upside-down kingdom. The first are the last. The last are the first. The greatest are the least. The least are the greatest. The servant of all is the master of all. That's what God teaches us in his kingdom. His kingdom is directly opposite and opposed to the kingdom of this world that we live in. Aren't we waiting for the day where his kingdom will enter in? We understand that kingdom is coming. Hey, listen, Christians, I hope that that kingdom is not so foreign to us because we haven't embraced it here. We haven't embraced it now, knowing that we are living for that kingdom in the now, even though it is not yet on earth. We're living for his kingdom. We're living for his purposes. You know, service is a mark of submission. Truly someone who has a submissive heart and the spirit of Christ is a servant. Number three, spiritual fellowship is not only selfless in serving, but is also sacrificial. It is sacrificial. Notice verse number eight. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Many people are willing to serve as long as it doesn't cost them anything. I'll serve, but I don't want it to cost me. Oh, I'll labor just as long as it doesn't cost me. Uh, listen, we live in a day where, uh, where, where people don't even want Christianity to be inconvenient to their life. In other words, if it takes up my time, I'm not interested. If it takes up my energy, I'm not interested. If it takes up my financial resources, I'm not interested. 
If it takes heartache and blood and sweat and tears, I'm not interested. And this we say to a Christ who is interested in human beings who were not interested in him, who died for us and gave all for us and didn't hold back even his own life for us. We say to God, I'm not interested. I'm not interested because it's going to cost me something. Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. His was not the death of a martyr, but his was the death of a savior. Let's not get that confused as the world would like to purport that Jesus was a martyr for his faith. Jesus was not a martyr for his faith. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus didn't die because someone strung him up. Jesus didn't die because someone caught him. Jesus didn't die because someone locked him in a jail and sentenced him to death. Jesus didn't die because anybody could take his life. Jesus laid himself down as God in human flesh, and he died because he chose to die. He died because he gave himself a ransom. He said, nobody takes my life except I give it. Jesus is no martyr. Jesus is a savior. Jesus didn't die for his faith. He lives so we can have faith. We understand that his sacrifice was necessary for our salvation. He willingly laid his life down. Dr. J.H. Jowett said this, Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. If there's to be any blessing, there must be bleeding. You know, uh, at a religious festival in Brazil, there was a missionary who was going from, from booth to booth, and he was examining what was being sold there in the market, and he saw a sign above one of the booths, and it said this, cheap crosses, cheap crosses. He thought to himself, that's what many Christians are looking for today. They're looking for cheap crosses Can I submit to you this morning, Christian, that the cross that Jesus bore was not cheap and the cross that he calls Christians to take up is not cheap, that it costs something. It cost Jesus his life. He laid himself down. He was willing to take the death of the cross so that he could purchase our redemption. I wonder, are we looking for a cheap cross as he's called every Christian to take up their cross and follow him? Lukewarm Christians believe that what Jesus called every Christian to do is radical. Lukewarm Christians want to say, well, that's extreme, that's radical. No, that is what Jesus called every child of God to be. It's not radical. This is what Paul called it. Not radical, reasonable. Reasonable. This is not extreme. I understand that it's radical as compared to our culture, but when's the last time we got our morality as compared to our culture? We don't get our morality as compared to our culture. We get our morality as compared to God's word, as compared to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too many Christians are looking at the world and saying, I'm better than the world. That means I must be a good Christian. How do we match up to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the measure of our Christianity. When it comes to our service, when it comes to our sacrifice, Paul said our reasonable service was to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Notice he didn't say to present your spirit or to present your mind or to present your intellect or to present your emotions, but he said to present your body. Jesus Christ, aren't you glad, presented his body. 
He didn't just assert intellectually to sacrifice. He laid his life down physically for sacrifice. That's true sacrifice. Listen, I'm glad for people who believe in freedom. I am indebted to those who gave their lives for the cost and price of freedom. You with me? I'm glad for people who believe in the idea of freedom, but I'm glad for the people who died so that I could have freedom. You know, too many of us love the idea of Christianity. We love the idea. Again, we have no problem in the abstract, but in the practice, how are we doing? We say as Christians that we believe the Bible is the authority for life in all matters of faith and practice. In other words, what we believe and what we do. In other words, is what we do, what we do with our bodies, is that important to God? Absolutely. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Does God care? Yes, you're not your own, you're bought with the Christ. Therefore glorify God in your body because it's God's. He bought it. Should we be more concerned about what we think of each other or should we be more concerned about what he thinks of us? Because here's the truth this morning. He knows everything you and I do with our bodies. He knows every thought that comes into our minds. He knows all the, the things that go on in our hearts. Yet here's the wonderful thing about the grace of God. He loves us still. Listen, if we knew all that Jesus knew about one another, we would not love each other. Because it is not in humanity to do that. When, as a matter of fact, it's in humanity to use what they know about someone against them. God doesn't use what he knows about you against you. How does Jesus use his knowledge about you? He allows his love to cover a multitude of your sins, doesn't he? He doesn't speak of them. Not to, uh, not to anyone else. I- I'm glad that he comes to me, though. How about you? However unpainful and however uncomfortable, aren't you glad for the confrontation and the conviction of God's Spirit? That God says, I love you enough to tell you you're wrong. I love you enough to show you the right way. That's our God. He didn't die to give us our life. He died to give us his life. And he gave us his life as a ransom. The person with this kind of spiritual mindset doesn't avoid sacrifice. He lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. And if paying a price will honor Christ and help others, he's willing to do it. It was Paul's attitude. It was Timothy's attitude. It was Epaphroditus' attitude. It was Jesus' attitude. And service goes together if service is to be true Christian ministry. Sacrifice and service go together. Lastly, uh, this morning, and I'll be done. Not only is spiritual fellowship selfless and serving and sacrificial, but is also sanctifying. Just on that point of sacrifice, I wonder this morning, is it costing you anything to be a Christian? You say, well, it shouldn't cost me anything because Jesus paid it all. I understand that Jesus paid it all. You're not trying to buy your salvation. But the Bible is clear that If we take up our cross, all that live godly in Christ Jesus suffer persecution. We're not trying to pay for our salvation. And by the way, we're not trying to, even as the song, the special this morning, I'm not trying to repay God. I could never repay God. But I am trying to obey God. You with me? I can't repay God, but I can obey God. 
Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what the life of a Christian is about? Is that we would obey him? Obedience is not a bad word. Obedience is the word of the Bible. It tells us that we become, listen, Jesus became obedient to the death of the cross. And he calls us to be obedient to the life of the cross. You with me? There's an obedience that's necessary. Boy, our flesh hates the word obedience, doesn't it? Hates it. I know when you're a kid, you love that song. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. We used to say, yes, sir, right? You know, we love that. Come on, how many of your kids love to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am? Were we in the military? No, but we're supposed to obey. Last time I checked, the Bible says we're good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the chief. We're his servants. Paul said it over and over again. I'm a bond slave. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He's the master. And hey, is he not Lord? Which means he's the king. Last time I checked, we're the servants to the king. According to scripture, we need to serve him. We need to obey him. Is it costing you anything to be a Christian? Number four, the spiritual fellowship is sanctifying. It is sanctifying. You know, this is the greatest goal in all that we do, that God would get the glory. Notice what he says in verse number nine. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's the very important part not to leave out. To the glory of God the Father. The Christian life is supposed to be to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ's life was to the glory of God the Father. And then he said, follow me. Take my steps. Live how I live. I have made that possible through my sacrifice and by my spirit for you to follow me. You say it's impossible in the culture. It's impossible if we're living as the culture. It's impossible if we're not walking in the spirit. It's impossible if we're fulfilling the lust of the flesh. That's why Paul said, hey, listen, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Why? Because the only way possible to live the Christian life to the glory of God is that we be filled with the spirit. Now, we all love to think that we are, but the truth is that many of us understand and know, listen, it's something that we have to constantly come back to God and say, God, please fill me. God, not my will, but yours be done. Are you with me as Paul? Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. There's this struggle, there's this battle, there's this struggle and this strain. And by the way, some Christians, they get it wrong. They think that when the struggle goes away, we've arrived. The truth is the struggle never goes away until he's arrived. We will always have the struggle of the flesh. The lust is not something you're ever going to do away with. It's not a vice to eliminate. It's an appetite to manage. God has given us desires, but how many know that all the desires that we physically have can be perverted? Every desire, and isn't that what the devil does? He takes every God-given human desire and he perverts it and he spins it 
and he causes it to be no longer an appetite, but an addiction. Isn't that what he does? He takes our appetites and he makes them addictions. He makes us servants to our lust. He makes us servants to our flesh. He makes us servants to our desires when we should be servants to Christ. Hey, listen, let not sin what reign in your mortal body, God's word says. What's it saying? Who's supposed to be on the throne in the body? Jesus Christ. You know, the problem is not with my soul. It's redeemed. You with me? Absent from the body, my soul will be present with the Lord because of the, because of the fact I'm born again. The problem's not with my soul. The problem's not with my spirit. My spirit responds to the Holy Spirit in truth. Says, yes, that's true. It, it bears witness that I'm one of the children. Are you with me this morning? Our problem is not our soul. Our problem is not our spirit. What's our problem? It's our body. It's our body. It's this corrupt body that we're in. Listen, this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. But until that happens, all of us will struggle with this body. For us to come together and think that nobody's going to struggle in the flesh would be foolish. All of us are struggling in our flesh. Listen, one of the great things we can do together as a fellowship of God's church and spiritual fellowship is look at each other and see the bodies and know there's imperfections and know that there's struggles and know that there's strains and know uh, that, that we're, uh, we're trying to be conformed to the image of God as we allow God's spirit. But let's be gracious. Let's love. Let's understand that they're not perfect just like we're not perfect, that none of us are. And by the way, here's the truth. None of us are the standard either. I'm not, neither are you. Who's the standard? Christ. He's the standard. And he's a perfect one, by the way. He is the measuring tool for every life. Those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise, but those that compare themselves to God begin in wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's when we compare ourselves to God. Hey, listen, can I ask you, friend, what does God say we fall short of? The glory of God. Isn't that interesting? For all have sinned and fall short, come short of what? The glory of God. Isn't it interesting that without God, we fall short of his glory, but with the presence of his spirit, we can actually give him glory. He could receive glory from us What an awesome thing. You know how he doesn't get glory from us? If we don't lay aside all bitterness and all malice and evil speakings and backbitings and gossips and lies and deception and manipulation and struggling for our own way and wanting our way. If we don't lay those things aside, God can't get the glory here. But if we'll lay them aside and say, all of us together, God, not our will, Yours, what you want. This is not my church any more than it's your church. It's God's church. This is his church. And you know what his church is supposed to be? The pillar and ground of the truth. That's what his church is supposed to be. We are supposed to be an honest reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I I know in my life, I've not always been an honest reflection. How about you? I've not always reflected Christ. There's been times where I've reflected me. Boy, it's ugly, isn't it? Isn't it ugly when you go to the mirror as a Christian, when you look into the perfect law of liberty and you don't see Jesus, you see yourself? Isn't it ugly? But when we look in the perfect law of liberty and we see Christ, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? 
Let this mind be in you, he says. You know what that means? We have to make a conscious decision as Christians to let it happen. So today, as we fellowship, we've got to say, God, not my will, yours. None of us are perfect. I don't care how long you've been saved, how long you've been in church, how long you've been at this, or how short you've been at it. None of us have arrived, and none of us will arrive again until he arrives. And so here we are together as God's church, and we're going to try to do something spiritual. We cannot do it without God's spirit. We need it. We need it. We desperately need it during this time. Come on, husbands, you need it. Wives, you need it. Children, you need it. Fathers, you need it. Mothers, you need it. Come on, we need it. How many of you know we fail when we try to live without it? But I'm glad he never leaves us. It's always a constant reminder, isn't it, Christian? You're trying without me, you're going to fail, but I'm here. I'm here. Whenever you want to do it with me, and by the way, in order to do it with me, you have to stop trying to do it your way. You've got to let me have my way. That's tough, isn't it? The flesh is so strong. We feed it so much. Everything in our culture around us says, do it your way. Jesus says, thy will be done. To the glory of God. I wonder, is God getting the glory from our lives? Is God getting the glory from his church? The Bible says, to him be glory in the church. We love exceeding abundantly above all things. We love to say God can do more than what we could think. Hey, listen, but what about to him be glory? God doesn't get the glory when he does things your way. He does get the glory from us when we do things his way. I wonder this morning, can we be humble enough? Isn't it amazing when we think we're humble, we're not? When we think that we've got it, we know we can't humble ourselves enough, so God says, humble yourself under my hand because God knows where humility is for you. I'll only humble myself to a certain point, but God can take me lower. None of us want that, but it's what we need. We need to be humbled that Christ could get the glory from us. I wonder this morning as we're here, we've talked about a lot about fellowship. Are you part of the family of God? You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven. If you don't know that, the truth is it's not that you need to be better or try harder or you need to work more. It's never going to do it. You're never going to make it. You need to be born into God's family. And the only way for that to happen is you responding in faith to the word of God and what God's word says. It takes faith because you have to believe. You have to believe about what God's word says you are, a sinner. And what God's word says he is, a savior. And you have to, in faith, receive that. And the Bible says, by the way, it's not praying a prayer. It's not being religious. It's not believing in God. It's having the elements of salvation that Jesus says are necessary. Repent and believe. God says that's necessary for us to do that in faith. Faith, that's what it takes. I wonder, have you ever in faith taken God at his word and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved? If you haven't, would you call on him today? He will save you right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to delay. There is no better time than today. You don't know how many times you have. You don't know how many gospels you'll hear. You don't know how much. Uh, Listen, our life's a vapor, isn't it? People die every day, young, old. It's sad to see death all around us. Sin is the reason for that death, and Jesus is the Savior for the sins of the world. 
Are you saved? Second question, Christian, is God getting the glory? Is Christianity costing you anything? Are you living your life? Do you have your own plans or have you submitted your plans to God's plans? Some people pride themselves in how well they plan. Oh, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. I've got a plan. Have you ever checked and said, is this God's plan? God, is this what you want? I wonder, could we all come together as God's church, whether you want to come to an old-fashioned altar today or you want to pray where you're at, whatever the Lord leads you to do, but I would submit, don't sit comfortably Turn off your mind, grow complacent, and don't make any decision. Because no decision is a decision. It's saying no to God. I wonder, could we all say yes to him today? If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.